Welcome everyone to another amazing episode of the Cucina Aurora Kitchen Witchery Podcast, another episode of Conversational Witchcraft with the incredible and inspiring ray of sunshine that is Emma Catherine. Emma is a witch and obia. She is an author and a teacher who lives in the middle of England, where she reads tarot and drinks copious amounts of coffee. Uh, that's how I know we're going to be best friends. Because <laughs> coffee is is life. Uh, I'm still working on my first one of the day. Uh, and so I'm happy to meet a fellow caffeine addict. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you Hello. so much for being here. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, thank you for having me. I always love meeting new people and like, this is one of the best things that come with like writing and all of that. It's like meeting new people. I, I'm excited. I agree. I agree. I, um, you know, I, I wrote my uh, Kitchen Witch's Guide to Love and Romance. I wrote it and it released like right in the beginning of the pandemic. And so what, what was supposed to be like, oh, you're going to go on a book tour. You're going to go <laughs> here and you're going to do this turned into, well, fuck, you're stuck at home. And I started doing... <laughs> I started like going on other people's podcasts and then people were like, you're pretty good at this. You should do this. And I was like, no, I don't have time. And I was like, well, fuck it. I got plenty of time and I got plenty of time and I'm going to run my own podcast. And I've only been doing it a little over a year. And one of the greatest things has been, like you said, meeting new friends and specifically people like you that are across the world. Like I would never have the opportunity to meet you. You are in England, right? Right. You're in the UK. Yeah, so I, like I normally when people are like, oh, are you in London? Like, no, I'm in like the middle of England. So I live in Nottinghamshire. So, you know, I live about 20 minutes outside of Nottingham City. You know, like Robin Hood. Right. That's Nottingham. So, yeah, right. so I don't live in London. So, yeah, so, you know, in a little rural town. So it's great to meet lots of different people from all over the place. And you guys are, as the time of the recording this, we're recording this right in the middle of summer. Did I hear on the news you guys are having like horrible record-breaking heat? Yes, like it is mental craziness. And I like the heat. I am not one to this, like the, the summertime, but 40 degrees. Ah. It's ridiculous, right? It feels like Satan's scrotum, like nothing against Satan, but like it feels like yeah. Satan's scrotum. And I'm I'm in New Hampshire, so I'm in the, the northeastern United States where generally uh-huh. it's cooler. Um, we moved here from New York uh, and we were like, well, let's go to New England because it's you get less summer, but it, it, still, <laughs> it still feels like I want to kill myself. Like, honestly... I was just talking to um, someone else earlier today, an editor, and she was like, oh, I hope you're all handling the heat well. I'm like, oh, I'm handling the heat great. I'm inside my house with the AC blasting and a sweater on, and I'm not going outside until October. That's just... Well, this is the thing, because we're not used to like that kind of level of heat. So hardly anyone I know has aircon in their <gasps> house. <laughs> so everyone's like dying. Oh my yeah. God, I'm so sorry. I know. Right, because you guys don't have that kind of, you don't have that kind of weather. Why no, would you be prepared our, for it? Yeah, our houses are like designed to keep in the heat. You know, like in winter and they're all insulated and yeah, no oh. air con. Oh my goodness. Uh, that, I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. Um, I'm I'm very spoiled when it, it like, comes to like climate control. It lasted two days. So. And, and now, now we're back better. to normal. Yeah, now we're back to normal like July weather. It, so, yeah. I've never been 
to the UK. It's a dream bucket list kind of shit for me to get over to where you are. Um, yeah, and vice versa, same. You've never been here. No, <laughs> never. That's kind of cool because a lot most of the folks I meet from the UK are like, oh yeah, I've been to at least been to New York or at least, yeah, it's terrible here. Don't come. Don't people, people, people listening, people listening, don't write me letters. Don't write me letters. America's a shit show right now. Um, and I don't think that's surprising to hear from anybody. Um, where I am is very, very nice. Um, but it's not like we're rural England. I mean, come on. That's where the history is. That's where the fairies are. That's where, you know, like the, nothing here has been built more than a hundred years old. Do you know what I mean? Like we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're babies and we suck. Um, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I told you I'm very surly this morning. I'm very surly. Um, <laughs> anyway, you're amazing. So you're, you've lived there your whole life. Um, uh-huh. tell us about what an obia is. So, um, because I've never even heard that term before, which definitely gives you an idea. Like my witchcraft background, um, I'm Italian. I grew up in New York. So most of uh-huh. my, my first introductions into witchcraft, which is why I'm a kitchen witch, they're food related, they're strega related. Um, and then as I progressed, everything is sort of like, you know, European based yeah. witchcraft. Um, so tell us, for those of us that don't know, what is an obia? So obia is, I call it, so my family, my um, paternal family are from Jamaica. And so whenever I talk about obia, that's where like my perspective comes from. Um, so I, I tend to call it an Afro-Caribbean witchcraft, the form of magic. Uh, in yes. Jamaica and in other parts of the Caribbean, it's often associated with malefic or what you might call black magic, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's a form of magic that was kind of brought to the Caribbean by enslaved West Africans during, you know, those times. Um both when Jamaica was ruled by the Spanish and the British. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of, and I always say, wherever you find Obia, it changes form because, you know, its form in, its original form in, in West Africa is is quite different perhaps to how it, I would practice it. And the same across all of the different islands um, because with the, when the enslaved people were, were brought to that land, um, on the plantations, you know, the, there was a mixation of lots of different peoples from different tribes. We, we talk about Africa and we, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily tend to think of all the different countries within it. And then even within the countries, um, right. Tribes within that one, one area of land, you know, who have their own traditions and their own beliefs and their own languages. So, so what you had on the plantations were lots of different people kind of all thrown together. And that was done kind of reduce the risk of uprisings and, and so on. And so that's kind of, you had a melting pot of people and um, added to that were, were the indigenous beliefs from, from the predominantly Arawak and Taino peoples. So it's, mm-hmm. it's wherever you find it, it's kind of tweaked and different. But I often say there's lots of parallels between uh, like folk magic, traditional yeah. kind of folk magic, um, you know, but yeah. yeah, it's interesting that you that you led that with, well, maybe black magic. Uh, but I think what when people use that term, 
what they really mean is light and dark and balance. Yeah. You know, because there is a lot of like in the witchcraft community uh, and truth, like there is a lot of like woo woo light and love and, yeah. and I'm all for that. Right. And yeah, I, I try cool. to live in that space of positive, positive energy <laughs> and, you know, to harm none and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And oftentimes you go back to like, harm none being like the basis of everything. However, there is an element of protection and protecting oneself, protecting one's family. And, um, you know, I was just having this conversation with somebody else, like mirror boxes. I'm going to do a mirror box spell around myself or a boundary spell or something Mm -hmm. like that, which is really just, hey, whatever the fuck you're shooting at me, let it go back to you. And that can be kind of like considered dark, but I don't think so. You know? No, me either. And, you know, like, I think a lot of my, I don't know, I'm one of those people where witchcraft is everything. It's in every part of, like, there's no separating the different parts of ourselves. They're all, like, yeah. you know, there. Um, and so witchcraft kind of permeates everything for me. Uh, and I often, so I grew up in, like, a really working, I still live in a really working class area. Right. You know, one of those places where people might, you know, say, don't, don't go down there. Um, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. But, you know, I, can't, I think that kind of upbringing makes you a bit tougher because you are faced with lots of challenges that perhaps you might not face if you live in nicer areas or nicer. I, I would, I would agree with that. Right. Yeah. Because you get, like I said, I'm from New York originally. We got tough yeah. skin when we we're born. Like we pop yes. up going, what do you, fu- what, what's your fucking problem? What's your fucking problem? Yeah. Like that's how we immediately, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. there's a song by KRS one and I can't remember the name of it, but there's always a lyric in there that I always think, yeah. And it's always like to stay on course, you've got to roll with force. And I always think, yeah, that's doing life. It's doing magic. Script. Love that. And, I love that. Yeah. And so when I, when I talk about Obia and um, being traditionally seen as black magic in Jamaica, um, there was a form of lighter magic called Mile. So that's where the kind of reference comes from. So if you practice Mile, you were kind of healing. But if you practice Obia, it's not necessarily negative, but lots of things fall into that kind of bracket, as you say. So, yeah. Can you give an example of uh, a, an issue? Okay, I, let's say I have an issue with um, my neighbor. My mm-hmm. neighbor is not um, is not a good neighbor. Their grass is overgrown. Um, they're loud at night. Uh, they stole my deliveries. Right in these mm-hmm. two practices, Ooh. whatever it is, right in these yeah. two practices, these these opposing viewpoints of of craft. How would one deal with the situation, and then how would the other deal with the situation? Um, I guess the difference really is, and I can't really speak about mile because nowadays. The term obeer is used to just encompass kind of any kind of magical practice mm-hmm. in Jamaica, at least. But I know that within obeer, there is really no limits. It depends on what the person wants and what the obeer practitioner is willing to do, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of, there is no um, kind of moral guidelines or, and, you know, is a kind of how I see magic generally. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. And it's yes. the, the will and intent of the person using it, you know, and their actions and what, you know. So, yeah, it just kind of depends on the person going to the OBA person and the OBA practitioner themselves. <laughs> is this a practice that you grew up with? 
Or did you, did you grow up in witchcraft? Did you grow up in Obia? Or did you find it? I kind of get into this with most people I interview on this show, Mm -hmm. because it's really interesting to find out the journeys and the paths of everyone. Um, How did we all in our separate lives find ourselves on similar paths? I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. It really is. And it's so often interesting to see what the threads are that are similar in in our in our in our respective lives. You know, like yeah. you grew up in the middle of England, and I grew up in New York, and yet yeah. here we are having a conversation because we have commonality. How did you get here? <laughs> um, I would love to say that you know I was taught Obia by my grandma, who was taught it by her, but you know, right. I think for the vast, vast, vast majority of us. That's not kind of true. It might be like going forward as, you know, our numbers rise and we each have children and yeah. you know, I have a niece who's kind of into it because like she comes to my house and she likes all of my things and right. little spells in the garden and she's like right. eight or nine or something like that, you know. Right. Um, but for me personally, um, it was just always kind of an interest that was always there. I was... I wasn't necessarily a weird, weird kid, but compared to my siblings and maybe my peers, I was a little bit kooky or I don't like that word. I don't know why I said that word, but you know what I mean? I wasn't weird, weird. How do you mean? (laughs) Like when all of my friends were like playing Barbie dolls, for example, I would join in the odd time, but 90% of the time I'd either be like with the dogs or reading a book or I don't know, doing something a bit nerdy or, you know. And bearing in mind, I grew up in like the 80s in the middle of England in a very working class area, you know. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't, I wasn't the same as everybody else. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I take that as a really good sign. I think that was a really good sign, right? Like, I don't yeah. know. I was the kid with the Barbies. I was like, let me just put my my Barbie and my Kendall on top of each other. I'm just I mean, gonna... when we did play Barbies, our, our Barbies did have issues. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> total issues. Someone's Ken was having an affair with someone else's Barbie. <laughs> Seriously, my Barbies were so fucking slutty. They were so slutty. But... And then, but then Barbie would turn into a mermaid and she would be, you know, singing to the trees and, you know, like, so like, I, I get that, like that, what you're calling weird, right? That sort of yeah. disconnected from mainstream, but super yeah. connected to self and nature. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But for a long time, you feel weird because you oh my can't God, yeah. kind of verbalize that or feel it. Oh God. Um, yeah. But then growing up, you know, my dad's mom was really religious, like. She believed she loved Jesus, you know, but she, it, and fair enough, but she never really passed it on to anybody else. It was her own belief. So my wow. dad's not religious. My mum's not religious. Right. We were never brought up religious. And I think for the majority of people in the UK, when they call themselves Christians, they probably mean that they celebrate Christmas and Easter. Like the, most people I know don't go to church, don't believe in the literal God or, you know, so. Wow. Um, so religion isn't like a massive part of most most people I know anyway most people's lives over here um so yeah we were never kind of um, I always kind of describe my mum as being a hippie so she always wanted to be a hell's angel <laughs> I love it so much I you love know, it so much had, like a leather jacket with tassels and so yeah it was kind of nice 
And then when I started, I can't even remember how I began to think about witchcraft and magic as, as an actual thing. You know, I read books, lots of fantasy books, lots of kind of fairy tales growing up. And then as you know, you get a little bit older and then you read the darker fairy tales and then like you move on to kind of. So I can't really pinpoint the moment I, I was into witchcraft, but I can remember my mum getting me my first book from the library. And I, and I always forget the author's name every time. Um, but it was called um, Where to Park Your Broomstick. And it was kind of a little teenager's guide to, you know, Wicca. So that was kind wow. of my first in. And I think, it well, for people in the UK, I think that's most people's in, unless you're raised with parents who have a particular tradition. Because back in the 80s, 90s, you know, the internet, most people didn't have access to the internet. All we had yeah. was, and I, I'm in a little rural town, so you had maybe... Uh, one mainstream bookshop in your library and so really it was right. whatever was in the library right and then it stemmed from there and you know as it does I think for most people you kind of find that in and then it just gets bigger it and snowballs bigger and- from there right yeah. it's just like then you're getting yeah. your hands on everything and it it's interesting that you say you know you you had said earlier you were the kid who was always reading and you read like fantasy books and stuff like that like I was a nerd I grew up in the same time frame as you, 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. and um, I was always into books. At, not really books. I, I be honest with you, I was a really, uh, I, I have a mild dyslexia, so I wasn't a great reader. So yeah. I had a, I had a hard time with books, um, and my dad was very scholastic. And like at 13, he handed me. Tolkien and he's like I read this when I was 13 for the first time so you need to read this and I was like I couldn't get through it I was like I just I just just, uh, it was probably the first one was probably Lord of the Rings and then when I said it was too much when I said it was too much I think he gave me the Hobbit and he was like oh this is much easier it's much smaller and I was still like no thank you um I just I couldn't it was just too much um it's too much for my brain now but I was into like fantasy movies and I was legend and willow and and (laughs) right like anything that had magic and dragons and wizards and sorcery and and I was so drawn to that you know and and even that that King Arthur and Robin Hood and all of those old legends and there's always that thread of magic and adventure through them and then you you get into your teens and you're like wait a second is this people are actually witches that's a that's a thing like I know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. And my my upbringing was very strict Italian Catholic. Like wow. going to going to church every weekend. Mm-hmm. Like I would go to like um like a, a slumber party with my with my friends in high school. You know, like we would all with a group of friends and we'd all sleep over each other's houses and you know yeah. stay up late and watch movies. And um, my parents would pick me up at eight a.m. on Sunday morning to go to church. <laughs> You're damn straight I wasn't a- allowed to miss church. And I sang in church and I taught kids in church. And we were like this super Italian Catholic family. And it's really interesting for me to hear you say that most people in the UK don't have that. Like, that's a thing here. Like, people like yeah. go to church. Like, yeah. And, I mean, and they're, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do hear some people, but like, I think there's always reports that year on year congregations are down and it's it's just not a, a huge part of most people's lives of course there are people who do you know who are religious and do go but yeah but isn't it so much nicer when church is your backyard I don't know for me anyway right like nature yeah. is the church and and you know coming back to your point earlier when you said 
you know, witchcraft is everything we do. And that really, and I definitely want to really delve really deeper into your book, um, Mm -hmm. which is called, which is called witch life. Um, and it's exactly what you're talking about. Everything being, um, everything being witchcraft, um, and the simplicity of it. And I think as we're talking about structured, organized religion versus Mm -hmm. witchcraft, right? I mean, obviously we all, those of us that don't like structure, those of us that don't go with the norm, those of us were the kids that were like, I'm going to play with the dog instead of hang out with the with the <laughs> friends over there playing hopscotch. Um, we fit much better into something that is less structured. Yeah, 100%. It just right? gives you that freedom, doesn't it? Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> How, so, so you found witchcraft with this this book, How to Park Your Broom, mm-hmm. or Where to Park Your Broom. Yeah. At what point did you discover the obia side of witchcraft? Um, it was quite a bit later, to be honest with you. Um, so, so I practiced kind of wicker. You know how you go. But wicker wasn't really for me. Nothing against wicker at all. Um, but... You know, it just wasn't for me, it didn't fit me. And so, you know, I kind of liked that exploration and I kind of turned more to the folk side of things. I love folklore, I love folk magic, I love, you know, all of that stuff. I like, you know, all of the ritual and glamour. And, but, you know, there's something special about just being able to kind of go to your back garden, go to your house, go to your local area um, and use what's there, you know. Yes. I think there's something really special about that. You know, I'd really, I was really quite, I guess, although I didn't feel it at the time, I guess I was more experienced with witchcraft and my own beliefs and more secure. In, and for a long time, I think that whatever, I just felt like that there was something missing because obviously I'm, I'm biracial. So my dad's from Jamaica, my mum is white British. Um, and, and so for such a long part of, of my practice, British or European magical influences were, were the main kind of part of it right. so I always felt that you know and and my Jamaican family are such a big part of my life as well you know my grandparents the culture it's such a big part of my life so I always felt that there was something missing um and so then I kind of started exploring asking like family members um well my dad mostly about Obia um and and stuff like that and then um, so that's where it kind of started, I guess. Was he very familiar with those practices or did you have to kind of like go back into the generations of your family history to, like you said, your grandma loved Jesus. Which grandma was the one that loved Jesus? My, so the, my, my, the Jamaican yeah, grandma? Jamaican. Yeah, yeah. Because Jamaica is, you know, a very yes. religious country. Yes. You know, really religious. Um, so, you, you know, I'd go to my grandma's house and there'd be pictures in, in a room of like, you know, yes. Christ on the Mount and all of that stuff. And, you know, and that was her belief and it gave her comfort and, and all of that stuff and each to their mm-hmm. own. Um, but so, so in Jamaica, like, you know, there's a lot of things. I was watching a TikTok video because I just sometimes like, you know, when, you, when you've been so busy, you just need something that numbs your brain for five minutes. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's some really good videos on there. But like sometimes yes. I just want mindless 
<laughs> nonsense. <laughs> yes, you scroll. I call it my dopamine videos scroll. Cat videos. Every oh. night before bed, every night before bed, I'm scrolling. I'm like, I need my dopamine. Where's my dopamine? I need my cute kittens. And I, I, I look at videos of wombats. I love wombats. They're just the cutest animal on the planet. So I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, there's a video and the guy was basically saying there's lots of things that Jamaican people do, like or superstitions that they hold that are mm. actually related to Robia. For example, like uh, using blue water, um, you know, eating rice and peas at nine nights and stuff like that. Um, so and ask any Jamaican person about duppies and it's like spirits, malevolent spirits and that kind of stuff. So there's lots of stories that are kind of related to Robia, but maybe people might not associate with Robia. So like it's a great source of information for kind of, you know, when you ask him about like ghost stories, you tell each other or, you know, what are the folk tales or, right. you know, you know, bits where he grew up in and, and stuff like that. So that's really interesting. But about the actual practice of Obia. Not many people do know unless they are an OBA practitioner or they're training to be because it's so secretive, you know. Um, right. you'll, it's an oral tradition, so you'll not find any books. You have to apprentice under somebody. Um, and, and, and you should. Of yeah, and, absolutely. And you should. And you should. These are traditional practices yeah. of a people, and it is inappropriate to think that you know what you're talking about if you're not being yeah. trained and and worked uh, initiated yeah, into these practices absolutely absolutely and like witchcraft i think it's it's so in-depth and there's so much to learn and you never really know it all um <laughs> so yeah so he didn't really know a lot and how i kind of stumbled into it um and i recently told this story to a couple of my own obia students so, like I said, it'd be lovely to say, like, my grandma, yeah. you know, but it's not true. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> my grandparents came over to the UK in, like, the 1950s. So, what happened back in the day? So, it was after the Second World War, yeah. and the UK had put out, like, a, a call to, you know, the Commonwealth countries and the other colonised places um, for for. Like, you know, they needed labour to come and build up the after the war, London was devastated and all of that stuff. So my grandparents came over and it's called the Windrush era because like it, well, the first ship to dock was the HMS Windrush. Wow. Um, yeah. So they came over in the 1950s. So what happened was the, the husband would come over first. He would get the house, find a job, you know, and then a few months down the line, the wife would come over. So my first, my oldest uncle and my dad were the only two of their siblings born in Jamaica. Um, so after a, a few months or a year or so, um, my dad came over. And so what would happen was back in the day, you needed to come over um, as an immigrant. You need to, to stay with someone in their homes so yeah. as a kind of sponsor, I guess, for a certain amount of time. Yeah. I'm not sure of the details, but I guess that's the gist of it. Yeah. Um, and so what you'd have is large communities of, because that was, you know, large communities of Caribbean people. Um, and so I kind of grew up, and my town is quite small. We're like, like I say, 20 minutes outside of Nottingham that has quite a large Afro-Caribbean population. Um, but I kind of grew up not really knowing who I was and wasn't related to. Because what I mean by that is we'd be at, say, my grandma's house and there would be someone there who I hadn't met before. And my dad would introduce them and say, oh, this is your uncle so-and-so. Uh, 
but you know, anyone yeah. who's, say, my dad's cousin, if I was a child and it was my dad's cousin and maybe it's my second or whatever cousin, right. um, you, they get introduced as uncles because it's a respect thing because you wouldn't say this is your cousin because they're, they're older, so right? They're older, yeah. so they're the cousin. and yeah. yeah. So, for example, I spent a long time thinking I was related to this one person. I was talking to my auntie about him. I was like, oh, yeah, is uh, my is he your cousin or something? My dad was saying, man, just like, no. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so, you know, and, and I can remember being at a close family friend's house. And, and by this time I was already into witchcraft and I kind of knew a little bit about a beer, but not a lot. Um, and the, a lot of the tools are quite similar, you know, yeah. and I'm pretty open. So if you come into my house, it's quite clear that I do something. If you don't know about witchcraft, then you might just think I've got a weird taste in decor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can always tell when you walk into a witch's house. Always, like there's an air, there's a, there's a an yeah. energy, and you're like. And I often feel like I, like I have a friend who lives at the road, and like she's she's got like 17 ancestral altars. As soon as you walk in, skulls yeah. and dead things and whatever. And I'm just like. I am totally not witchy enough. Like you are the witchiest witch that I know. You know what I mean? But there's always something. You can always, if yeah. you know what so you're you looking can, for. Yeah. So I yeah. remember being in this person's house and I'm seeing some of these things and I'm thinking, and you know, I, and I've, I've, I thought it a few times. I've been around a few times now. Yeah. In the back of my, and then one day I just got up the courage to kind of ask, ask if they practice witchcraft. And that's kind of how it came apart. And I kind of, begged and begged and begged and like you know for them to teach me and finally they relented and did because it's quite a big commitment you know yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and then finally they did so yeah <laughs> that's amazing so how did you go from from this uh, you know just this learning stage and kind of absorbing everything that you could absorb and 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 everything to now like you said you have your own OBS students and you're writing books on witchcraft like how did how did you make the transition to teacher oh, I don't know well when I think about it it's kind of crazy so for a long time I worked in retail and you know you get quickly disillusioned with um I think humanity when you class four, yeah, yeah you get this, it's easy to get disillusioned with yeah humanity, just humanity. In <laughs> yeah, if anybody ever wants to feel like shit about themselves go work in retail it's terrible it's yeah. and we've all done it we've all done it like yeah. it's something that like it's it's part of life you have to do it and people that can make a living in retail like cheers yeah, to them play to them i yeah, mean that's that's a for me that's a vocation if i ever heard it like yeah it's, yeah it's, it's, yeah. yeah, I used to tell my partner that most people are indifferent. <laughs> Few people are nice, and then there's more rude and just awful people than you would even imagine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? it's true. True story. True story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I can remember always being disillusioned. I mean, and now I'm a teacher and I love my day job. So, um, but back then I was really disillusioned, and I always knew that I wanted to write, but I always thought it would be fiction, weirdly. <laughs> oh, wow. I know, strange. Um, but then, so I, I did my degree, um, did some coursework, and, uh, you know, you do lots of, I did a creative writing course, as mm -hmm. you know, fiction writer. Um, and so I had lots of kind of pieces of coursework that were essays and, you know, yeah. short stories. 
and I used to follow this web um, website. I, I came across them on social media, and I think it, I think they were called Dear Darkly or something like that. And it was just kind of all sorts of dark or you know culture. So they did all sorts, <laughs> of it, but it was fun. Like it was kind of tongue in cheek and quite fun. Um, and they put a call out for writers. So they were having this. They were having their own little kind of program where you would study with them for six weeks and they'd talk you through their style and what they were looking for. And all through that six weeks, you'd be working on an article that would go for publishing with them. And at the end of those six weeks, they would decide whether they wanted the article or not. Wow, what Um, a cool thing. I know, it was really good. Yeah, really Um, cool. Practical, practical knowledge. And then like this... That's that's fantastic and good for you. And so you took this course. Like most people don't yeah. take that leap. They'll go, oh, that sounds well, interesting. Well, I've done that for a long time. You know, I've seen lots of like, because I think that's one of the good things about social media. Um, it, most of my writing opportunities have come about through social media because I follow someone and they've shared a, a call for submissions or, yeah. or so on and so forth. Um and that's one of the great things about it. But anyway, so I went through it all and it was going good, but I didn't, they didn't want my finished article. It was about poison plants uh, and they didn't want it. And I was like, got it and that was it. That was it. I tried and failed. That was it. I was going to hang up, you know, put the lid back on my pen and do away with my notebook. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm quite dramatic. <laughs> I'm never writing again. <laughs> so like I was just bemoaning to my younger sister she lives like down south close to London so I was on the phone I'm like oh because I'd been telling her about it and she was asking about it and I'm like oh they didn't want it so I guess that's that and she's like oh Emma <laughs> she's surely like look around Fine. so I did so I was like for right I put my big girl pants on and kind of had a look around and then um I found which way magazine and they had a call for submissions so, and I really liked this article that I'd written. Like, yeah. even now, I, like, I really liked it. So I thought, right, I'll send it to them. So I sent it, and it was like, you know, with a little letter. And then I went to my uncle's barbecue. So <laughs> came home quite drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and forgot I'd sent the email. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, I don't know. You know, you're on your phone checking. And... I'd got an email back from them and they'd loved it. And um, and now I'm still a staff writer for them. So that was what? really where it's no, I know. <laughs> what? I know. <laughs> but this is important shit, okay? Because yeah. people always want to know, like, how do I go and do this? And, oh, it'll never happen for me. And, oh, you know, I tried it once and it didn't work out. And I think it's so important for people listening to hear these stories of you, you are – you are now a successful book author. I know it's so <laughs> mental even to it's, think about it. <laughs> it's totally mental. Okay, my book is like going to be two years old this summer, and whenever anybody's like, "Can you sign this?" I'm like, "Oh my god, really? You ra- oh my god, you want me to sign? Oh my god!" But the thing is that 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 these th- these opportunities present themselves, and I think we as witches specifically need to remember that we are fucking powerful 
and what we what we put what we put out we get back i think that's true for everyone witches are not what you put out into the universe you get back but we as the witches are more aware of these things so here you were you saw this great opportunity to take this six-week course and you were like Mm -hmm. i you follow that gut instinct and even when it didn't work out the way you wanted it to you took that risk because of intuition because spirit was like you need to do this you need here's this other thing here's this other thing because you were meant to do it so the universe and, mm-hmm. and 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 the gods kept giving you these opportunities like this one didn't work here's this one here's this you know what i yeah. mean and, yeah. and you, because you are who you are you listened and you went yes instead of going oh it's not for me <laughs> yeah and like so that is me anyway so i know i'm like that and my part so i used to box and kickbox competitively like in the ring. i just so- fell in love with you <laughs> That is so fucking badass, and it's a little hot. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Thank you. It's kind of it's kind of hot. It's kind of hot. I love a woman who can kick an ass. I'm just saying. But so like, and I used to love it. So like, anytime my coach was, and I'd be like, right, I'm not fighting them. I'm too bothered. But then my coach would say, Emma, I've got this matchup. And I'm like, oh, go on, man. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, when you're fighting, so I always. And I don't know, I grew up with like three sisters and my youngest sister is a bit younger than all of us. But like there's about a year and a half between me and the next one up. So we always used to fight like cat and dog, like fisticuffs yeah. fight. Yeah. Um, um, so it was nothing new, <laughs> but it's different, you know, when you're in the ring because it's that controlled aggression. It's not like in the heat of the moment where your sister just pissed you off and you want to slap her face and she's going to slap you back and... You know, right. it's not that. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> so right. It's right. very different. It's a weird mindset to put yourself in. And you go through like your training camp and you're training really hard and you, you know, you're picturing it. But then the closer it gets to fight night, the, the nerves start to kick in. And I'm usually, when I'm in public, I'm very good at keeping those nerves in control. But then when I'm at home, when I'm in like my comfort zone, my safe space, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. Why am I doing this? And like, I'd be like to my partner, oh my God, what if she's like, six foot two and you know I'm five foot one by the way (laughs) (laughs) no I completely I completely get it I completely get it because I'll be the same way I'll be like I'm gonna do I have all these amazing huge opportunities and I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it and then I'll be like so the same day with my partner, I'll be like, babe, babe, I got this book deal and this thing happened. And I just, I just wrote like four chapters. Oh, I'm so awesome. And then literally I will leave the room. I will get a cup of coffee. I will come back and I'll be like, what if it sucks? What if they don't like it? What are we going to do? Oh my God. Crippling self-doubt, crippling self-doubt. Right. And like- so in those moments, I really need my partner and he always does it. I'll say, for God's sake, Emma, get a grip. <laughs> you know, you've trained hard for this. He said, if you were at home and, you know, your opponent was in the street and giving you some jip, you'd be the first one to say, piss off, you know. Right. (laughs) And it's true. We kind of forget ourselves in those moments. Everyone has those moments. Absolutely. Um, But then, you know, you get in the ring and, and I think this is where kind of I see the parallels with magic and fighting, you know. You get in the ring and it's almost like you enter that, you know, when you're doing a ritual. Okay, so you're getting ready for the ritual um sometimes you might not feel like it you can't be asked but then when you start it's almost like there's that shift in your mind and yes. it's the same with when you get into the ring and it's real and your opponent's there and the, and 
and then it just becomes automatic and it's great you know <laughs> after I, that I, moment of <gasps> yes a hundred percent and I think that's that's so important and I love this using this as the segue it's perfect is that back to this everything is witchcraft right that mm-hmm. there is our our like I, our inner voice and how we speak to ourselves and how we speak with our inner voice to ourselves and that, oh my God, what am I doing moment? Um, but then when you're faced with the situation that goes away and we realize we're standing within our power and that can happen at any moment, whether it is a fight, whether it is writing a book, whether it is going to a job interview or a first date or yeah. whatever, the minute you're in that, your your mindset switches and you go, oh, wait, I am a powerful being. This yeah. is where I'm supposed to be at this moment. And I'm going mm-hmm. to breathe into that moment and ease through it um, and do whatever yeah. I have to do. And I think that is... I think that's powerful witchcraft of the self mastery mindset. Yeah. I think that's so in, right, so important. Um, and and that just goes back to this: everything we do is witchcraft. The way we move through our lives, the way we, uh, the way we move through the world, the way we relate to other people. And so, on that note, I want to take a quick break here from our sponsors, and then I want to come back and really dive deep into these ideas of everyday witchcraft and your book, Witch Life. We will be right back with the amazing Emma Catherine. Guys, I have just got to tell you about the Robin's Nest. If you're unfamiliar with the Robin's Nest, let me tell you a little bit about one of my favorite shops. This is a full-service premier metaphysical shop here in New England. They offer everything from gifts to custom-made crafted potions and wares, magical and ritual items, divination materials, candles, crystals, uh, spiritually designed clothing, uh, ritual wear, books, incense, tarot, oracle decks, and most of all, more importantly, they offer friendship, creativity, and community. This shop is owned by one of my favorite people in the world, Robbie Packard, um, and she is a high priestess. She is a th- helping foster a thriving pagan community with kindness and compassion. She is just the most amazing person, and her shop and everything in it reflects her love of community and craft. You will not find a more welcoming space to learn, to grow in your spiritual practice. Everything the Robin's Nest does is within intention of love and bringing community together. Although the shop is located in Bellingham, Massachusetts, you can find them online at therobinsnestma.com. That's therobinsnestma.com. They're offering tons of online rituals, uh, workshops, classes, tons of stuff to get you involved, to broaden your mind and help you on your spiritual journey. Uh, Check them out, therobinsnestma.com. You will not be sorry that you did. Somewhere over the rainbow, through a field of overgrown poppies, down a crumbly yellow brick road, 
you'll find Green Girl Diaries. Or you can always just use the internet. Green Girl Diaries is a modern-day parody web series of the musical Wicked that focuses on the titular green girl and one-day Wicked Witch Elphaba's time at Shiz University. Watch as Elphaba navigates her way through college shenanigans. See the drama play out between her and her posh roommate, Galinda. Laugh and cry with her as she feels out a hopeful relationship with that new kid, Fiero, Explore the world of Oz and a land filled with wizards, animals, winkies, magic, and munchkins, all seen through the eyes of Oz's biggest outcast. Green Girl Diaries is set to premiere as we fall into the new year. You can find Green Girl Diaries on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Green Girl Diaries. And don't forget to subscribe to Gargoyle Media YouTube pages so you're ready for the premiere. See you in Oz! We are back on a very fun uh, episode of Conversational Witchcraft with Emma Catherine. And before the break, we were talking about uh, the ideas of everything we do being witchcraft. Um, and 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 you're writing this book, uh, Witch Life, which... Mm-hmm. Okay, so I got all, all these books uh, from Llewellyn and they, they get delivered, you know, if I'm going to interview somebody, Llewellyn will send me the, yeah. copies of the books. And oh, how lovely. It's... <laughs> It's really great. It's pretty great. You know, they're like, okay, here's here's a bunch of authors. Here are things that we think that would be nice for your listeners. And I get to go through and go, this person sounds awesome. Oh, I love this one. I like that book. Whatever. And they'll they'll send me they'll send me the books, which is amazing. So this book came in a package into my office, and literally, I shit you not, three people in my <laughs> office were like. Oh, can I have that? Can I have it? I'm like, you can't have it until I'm done with it. And every, there's a post-it note in here from one of them that's like, when you're done with this, and someone's claimed I want it. it. Yep. <laughs> they have claimed it. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. I'm just going to have to buy you your own copies. This is my copy. Um, but really, what you go over in this book is it, what I love, okay, is that it really is basics. It is these principles of everything we do is witchcraft. So let's incorporate it into our everyday lives. Now, as a kitchen witch, that's part of what I love about my own practices is that I make Mm -hmm. time to eat every day. I make time to make food every day. um, And so I can practice my craft in an everyday way. And that's really a lot of stuff that you go over in here is practicing in an everyday way. Um, and I think it's just, it's needed. I don't think there can ever be too many books like this because they speak differently to different people. But yeah. why? Why did you decide to write this? And why did you decide to do it at this particular moment in time? So I wrote it in the first UK lockdown and like the last few years have been a bit crazy. So I can never really remember if that was 2019 or 2020. 2020? I I don't, 2020? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was. What year are we in of the pandemic? Where are we now? I know, right? (laughs) That's what it's done to us all. Just read an article this morning that was like case numbers are going back up with a new variant. I'm like, it's the Twilight Zone. I it's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I read it in the first lockdown, and during that time in the UK, so if you could work from home, you worked from home. So I work in a, a specialist 
um, SEND score. So it's um, we we it's autism specific. So we work with children with ASD autism, and lots of our children, um, you know. The COVID was kind of a scary time for lots of people for lots of different reasons. And for people who have maybe other diagnoses or profound um, and serious medical conditions, um, it was so new at the time. And, uh, you know, so our school kind of closed down. So our pupils went to remote learning um, our support staff who work with so our children have like key staff, it's one to one, but their support staff where possible went to their homes to, just to support because, you know, it was such a big shift and change for, for the pupils. Um, I did remote learning, so I did some lessons and, you know, our pupils have autism, so mostly it wasn't learning, learning, but it was nice to check in with them, kind of have a chat, kind of discuss learning based topics, but in a, in a fun and relaxed way. Um, so that was really good. But I found myself working from home. Um, and when I wasn't doing scheduled calls with pupils, I found myself doing really odd hours, like working hours, like my whole kind of sleeping pattern changed and everything because it was so drastic. Like that lifestyle change was yeah. so drastic and happened so quickly. So like back then, I think you were allowed out for an hour a day for exercise unless you were going to work or to the shop. And back then it was only like essential shops, like food shops and so on that were open. Right, right, um, essentials. Yeah. Wow. So it was a bit crazy. So, and I found myself kind of, I don't know, it's weird when you start working from home and you're not used to it, you know. So yeah. I'd get, I'd wake up like really ridiculously early in the morning, like four o'clock in the morning. So then by five in the morning, I was maybe doing some planning or, you know, I don't know, do. It was and so and the same in the evening. And then I had this chunk of space in the afternoon. Yeah. And for a while, you know, it's a novelty because I've always worked or had children. So it's always you're busy, you're busy, you're busy, you're busy. So having this free time in the day, at first I really struggled with it, you yeah. know, which is weird when you work so hard because you spend so long thinking about if only I had some free time, I'd do this, this, this and this. But the forcedness of it and the fear yeah. and, and the drama globally and, it, you know, it, it's there was nothing relaxing about any part of the lockdowns. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, you, again, you were like, oh, I should be, this should be great because, look, I can sleep in and I have all this free time. And at the same yeah. time, you're like, how the fuck am I going to pay my bills? And what if I can't go back to work? And what if this yeah. and what if that? So, like, you might be doing nothing but your brain your brain is on fire, you know? And like you said, that adjustment is impossible. Yeah, it's so weird because my work day as well, it's in a school, so, and I teach, so my day is very structured when I'm at work. And then yeah. in my home life as well, it's quite structured because I write and then I've got family. So I have to have a quite yeah. structured life, otherwise it'd just be chaos. Um, and there's nothing wrong with chaos, but yeah, I have deadlines and shit. So. <laughs> I'm, too, I'm too type A for chaos. I schedule my chaos. Yeah, exactly. Like I have chaos for 20 minutes every other Friday night. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. That's when I can see it. That's it. Exactly. So, you know, it was really weird for me. And I think that I found myself in a bit of a rut. So, I don't know. You you, you think it's great at first. So in a week, you've watched whatever you wanted to watch on Netflix, you know. And then, yeah. And I think it was only my practice, my witchcraft and no beer practice, that really kind of, kept me a bit sane 
kept me yeah. my routines going, you know. So on yeah. this day I'd do this, on this day it was this time for this ultimate. So, you know, right. it kept me kind of sane. Um and I just thought that actually, I don't know, it kind of inspired me to write the book to get people to actually practice because we spend so long and you know I'm guilty of it as well I always do it I'll spend so long researching something and I love research because I am a nerd but then when it comes time to do it you know sometimes your comfort zone is to go back and just oh maybe I'm not ready yet maybe I'll um you know but actually just going and doing the thing making the mistake you know that's how you learn that's really how you develop um, yeah. So I wanted, I wrote the book because I wanted people to go out and try these things. Just try them. Um, right. Well, also try them how I've written them in the book. But then, you know, if you think something's wrong, change it. Change it based on what you have. Change it on what you feel. You yeah. know, nothing's rigid. Um, yeah. I can always remember one of my OBS students asking if I had like a book or any recommendations for, say, a book of invocations for the OBS spirits. And I, I was like, There's no such thing exists. Not that I know of. Right. Um, I said, and even if they do, I said, they're only written by other people. There's nothing ultimately special about them other than that that's that person expressing their deep relationship. Right, that's their point of view and those are their rituals. Yeah. And that's, right? Like I always yeah. say, like, you can only teach what you have your own experiences. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah, what, this is what I do. So w- take what I do and, and take, the, what works yeah. for you and leave the rest, right? And yeah, I think, absolutely. I think you really nailed it, um, calling the subtext of the book being a practical guide for making everyday magical. Because as witches, and, and it's something that I talk about with Kitchen Witchery, we kind of wish that we could be doing all these things all the time. And it's funny that you point out that like, even within a pandemic where you'd be like, you know, oh, well, now I have all this time to do these super deep rituals. And <laughs> I could be planning and I could be doing this and I'm going to celebrate every sunset and every sun sunrise and blah, blah. There's still like a million, like we still have lives. We still have jobs. We still have homes and children and pets and spouses yeah. and, and things that, you know, we have to take care of. And so to break these things down in a more practical way and go, oh, right, uh, tonight's full moon. Let me just flip this open and go, oh, yeah, look, here's a good full moon thing I can do. It's going to take me 15 minutes. That's great. You know, we need that sort of thing in our practical lives as witches so that we do stay tethered. As you said, that, that, that magical practice and that Obia practice is really what tethered you to spirit during a time of upheaval being the pandemic. Yeah, and I just think if you wait for that special moment, you know, and don't get me wrong, I always, you know, I love a good full moon ritual when sure. I manage to, to get to one. Sure, yes. You know, there's, some, there is, there's great, great, great stuff. But I think if you're always waiting for that moment and then it comes and goes and you miss it for whatever reason, you think, oh, well, never mind, I'll wait for the next one. You're always bloody waiting waiting for the next always waiting and you never for the do the thing and you never do the thing so if you can right. make your life as magical as possible and there are many ways to do it in you know lots of different ways then you're always practicing that craft you're always honing your skills you're always mm-hmm. building that connection to spirit to what to your own practice to yourself um yes yeah. yeah i love that you said that you know you're always you're always creating that magical practice with self because it is, as we talked about at the very, very beginning, it is an evolution of 
practice and as we learn and we grow and we change and we adapt within our own spiritual practices. But having those basics down is so important. Um, And that's kind of also how like, maybe you have this experience as well at bringing people into your practice. Like here's something very basic that I can do um, to celebrate, you know, um, as the time we're recording this, it's going to be Lama's first of August, first harvest, right? Coming up. And how do I want to celebrate that with people that aren't necessarily identifying as witches and pagans? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I can do this incantation over a bread that I'm going to bake. And then I can serve that to people that I'm going to eat a meal with. And so we can celebrate these things together and stay tethered into that spiritual practice. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's a great way of that. And I also think that, you know, so in the book, you'll find several different things to do around the full moon or the different moon phases Mm -hmm. or, you know, the different Sabbaths, there's several different things to do. And the idea is like, if you want to do all of them, great, fun time, you know, if you have the time, fantastic. But I think I often see those times, so whatever moon phase, say the full moon or the dark moon or say, you know, it's going to be Lamas soon um, or Yule, I always think that we tend to think of them and I think it's because of our kind of our lifestyles you know we're always on the go we think of what's next what's next what's next so we always the date comes and we say right it's going to be Lamas on the 1st of August and then the 1st of August comes and you do your thing or maybe you don't and then it goes and then it's like that done now on to the next but I don't tend to see them as that I tend to see them as maybe the the markers of the season so you know energies come in ebbs and flows so it'll start with a trickle and grow and grow and grow to the peak which might be Lamas or whatever you're celebrating at the time. Um, but that right. peak, you know, it might start to dip a little bit, but you don't tend to notice that dip. So um, I think if, if it's, say, you're busy on the first, say you're, you're at work, you know, real life gets in the way of right. our magical shit all the time. All the know. time, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you might not have time for a fancy ritual. You might not have time to, to do all of these things. So, But there's things you can take from the book from around that time adapt them if you need to but you can do them at any time around that time you know you've got yes. the day before or the day after it doesn't have to be exactly on that day you can still give thanks right. you can still honor you can still work with those energies they're still there you know they haven't just quickly gone and right <laughs> right and I think that's a really important point to make as well is that this is not what we practice as witches and I'm using witches and pagans as a blanket term, right? What we practice is not so rigid where like you have to go to church on this day because this day is Easter Mm -hmm. Sunday. And this is the day you have to say these particular prayers and do this particular ritual. Like that's not how our spiritual stuff works, right? Oh, well, maybe, maybe, you know, uh, Astara falls on a Wednesday and you've got a big work meeting or your kid has band practice or you're going to take the dog to the emergency room because he ate a shoe. (laughs) You can, you can then say, oh, well, you know, I've got a couple of days next week where things settle down. And so because everything is specifically when we're talking about seasonal stuff, You've got four seasons in the year in most places on the planet. Um, And then you also have, you know, the way the wheel of the year turns, right? So you could say, I have these six weeks in this season Mm -hmm. to celebrate, these eight weeks, right? And, and, And like you said, I love the analogy that you said, Emma, of the 
the energy trickles and then it might come to a peak and then it will trickle away again. Um, and I don't even know if I would say it trickles away or if it just changes. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I love that analogy so much. I'm wondering, was there anything particularly challenging for you in writing this, this whole book? Because you're generally, you write smaller chunks, right? You write articles mm-hmm. and short yeah. things. So was there anything about writing this full book that you found really challenging? Um, I think the challenging bit as, so writing that, so it's so wide and varied, the challenging bit was actually deciding what would go in into mm. the word camp. And then I always struggled um, with the, the second and, you know, the second draft and, you know. Word the edits. And, Ah, yes <laughs> thank god for editors that's all i'm saying you know thank god I, for I wouldn't their want that job <laughs> me I, either i know <laughs> hey, angels in disguise <laughs> i love particularly i love um and i i you could see i even earmarked the page here i love <laughs> that you added a chapter about tarot yeah, um, I, I really love that. And, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, I am not a witch that practices tarot. I don't read tarot. Okay. Um, I love oracle cards because they're not yeah. so structured. And I can have a, a different relationship with every single deck, right? Mm-hmm. I have a fairy deck. I have an empath deck. I have, you know, this thing and that thing. And so I can have a different relationship with every single one of them. And I can work with different energies, you know, a goddess one, an angel one, every single one of them. And I'd be like, oh, I feel like angels today. Let me talk to my angels. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like fairies today. Let me talk to my fairies. But tarot is so much more structured. And it doesn't matter what pretty card you're going to get. <laughs> Tarot is always going to tell you, like, bitch, please, this is what has to happen right now. Uh And I find tarot intimidating for those reasons. And I'm starting to get, uh, I I just got my very first actual tarot deck a few months ago, and I've been dabbling. Oh, Um, how exciting. (laughs) I I was very drawn to the artwork. And then I was like, but it's tarot. You know, and my partner was like, you need this deck. You have to have it. And he bought it for me and surprised me with it. And I'm like, well, it's really expensive. So I better start using it. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm like, you spent like $100 on this deck. It's beautiful. I better, I got to use it. I don't want it to just sit there. But I love that you've gone into the basics of tarot. Because I do think that a lot of witches, especially people that might be entering into this path maybe like me intimidated by tarot so can you tell me like why you chose to put a whole chapter on tarot in your uh-huh. practical guide yeah well i too was intimidated by tarot and for exactly those same reasons you know because i think as witches we are drawn to them maybe because we're supposed to be or you know Everyone's always banging on about tarot cards. So you feel that perhaps you should own a deck or two. And if not tarot cards, you know. But like you, I I would be a tarot connoisseur because I am drawn to the artwork, you know. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I have several different decks um, because I, I'm drawn to the artwork. But I, realistically, I probably use two. If I was rich, I would have antique tarot. I'd have like... Uh, right. A room yeah. full of tarot decks. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, all sorts. They'd be all sorts. Um, but I was 
also kind of put off and you you try you try you try so you get your little book or you buy a book and there's just something so fucking mind-numbingly boring about learning shit by rote you know yeah um we don't I, I work with kids we don't teach like that you know having to sit there and memorize meanings for all of these different cards I can't think of anything worse yes. <laughs> you know yes I agree I agree and so it is really intimidating, and I was intimidated too. And so for a long time, the kind of my first tarot deck sat in a drawer, kind of untouched, apart from I'd pull them out every now and then, have a shuffle, and you know, not really kind of do anything more with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then um, I, I kind of really wanted to. I don't know, something kept pulling me back to it. And I, but I thought, I can't keep doing the same thing because it's not working. Mm. Um, and so I kind of started this exercise. So I would take one or two cards a day too, because I'm a bit impatient as well. And I think, shit, there's all these fucking cards. It's going to take forever. <laughs> so I do two cards a day, but no more. So, and I, I'm a bit kind of, so I had to do them in order. So um, and it's, I think this exercise is in the book. Um, and I always suggest it for everyone to do. If you want to learn tarot and not in that boring way of just reading you know, yeah. the, the given definition. And so I suggest that, you know, you take your book um, from the, that you get with your deck and you just put that to one side and then you take the card and you just look at it, <laughs> okay? You just look at the card, you look at the colours, you look at the images, you look what's going on in them, anything that kind of catches your attention. So you're just looking at them and kind of... And I think what happens when you look at images and symbols anyway is that you begin to put your own narrative to them. You begin to make sense of them in your own way. Um, and then, so what I ask my students to do when I'm teaching tarot workshops, for example, is I'll ask them to do this exercise. So you look at the colours, you look at the cards, and you kind of kind of have to ask yourself, what do these mean to me? So, you know, what do these colours mean to me? If the, if the card is mostly dark and you know what does that mean to you is it a scary place or is it a safe place and then mm. you let your own intuitions kind of form that meaning around that card for you you know um right. and then so after we've kind of explored that and I say right now go to your book find the kind of page for that card and read through it what and quite often people come to similar if not exactly I mean some people have widely different ones and that's fine but a lot of people they kind of come naturally to the definitions similar or to similar definitions that are in the book anyway. Yeah. So, you know, and that's how they're designed to work. They're designed to work with, you know, our, our minds and the symbolism and the colours and all of those thoughts and feelings. And um, there was one time, so I used to kind of be in a little working group with some friends. Um, and one night, so we used to meet every kind of, every third week of the month at someone's house and we'd do like magical things and it was fun times sometimes yeah. we'd just eat snacks and gossip but most I of mean, the time also fun also fun yeah <laughs> yeah but most of the time we would do something so one night we decided that we'd all kind of practice with the tarot so what we decided was we split up into like we'd do a round robin basically of reading for each other in different rooms so nobody was hearing what anybody else yeah. said and at the end we kind of all came together to discuss our experiences and to kind of pick up on what worked and what didn't um because you know that shit's fun yeah <laughs> and I always say people should do this with the tarot they should just have fun with it you know get yes. your girlfriend around open a bottle of wine and just have fun and a giggle it just takes yes. away that kind of I don't pressure. know pressure 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah the pressure absolutely. that like, oh, I'm not a good enough witch because I don't read tarot or what if I get it wrong? That doesn't matter. Just have a good time and commune with that deck. Like, like everything's energy, right? So yeah. you need to commune with it. You need to like have a moment with the deck so you can get to know it and it can get to know you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So what was really interesting in the discussion part at the end, one of our friends who I'd read for him and our other friend had read for him, and he said, what was interesting was that um, although he'd drawn totally different cards from both readings, actually the messages he was getting were quite similar. That not that like crazy? It was just like, wow, that's wow. So, you know, so I think the tarot works like that it works mm-hmm. with our own lives and our own meaning and the spin we put on things so even if you know you have your your rote meaning but you might kind of not agree with it exactly so I think it's like we've said take what works for you and discard what doesn't because you have to kind of incorporate it into your own it has to make sense in your own mind you know otherwise Absolutely. you're never going to feel that connection Absolutely. And that's why I love that you put that in here, because if this is a true practical guide to to witchcraft, and it really is, um, that's something that is very practical that so many people might shy away from. And you've really broken it down into basic exercises and made it easier to and, and less intimidating to approach. So thank you for that. That's fantastic. Um, what do you hope people will get from this book, Witch Life? I hope that it will just encourage people to start doing. And I think that, and we all, we all do it, you know, we read, we read, we read. Everybody's an expert. Everyone online's an expert. And you read and you believe what they say. And, right. you know, I read online that you shouldn't do this. And I read online that you shouldn't do that. Right. But why shouldn't you do it? So I, I think at the very, at, at the, I don't know, for me, I hope that people, it encourages them to explore to just have fun with it, to not take yes. it too seriously, because I mean, it is serious shit. And I, my witchcraft and my Abia practice are extremely serious to myself. But I think you also have to have fun with it, because, it, like I say, it's such a big part of our lives. It's there in the sad times, the happy times, it's our comfort and our joy. And so um, I think it's important that we're able to have fun with it. If we're too serious all the time, nobody wants that. (laughs) Nobody wants that. That's amazing. Emma Catherine, the book is called Witch Life, A Practical Guide for Making Every Day Magical. So Emma, tell us where we can find you online, on Facebook, Instagram, where we can buy your book, all that jazz. Okay. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Emma Catherine Wild Witch, and Twitter as well, Emma Catherine Wild Witch. I am recently new to the world of TikTok. Um, on there, it's Emma Catherine Obia Woman. <laughs> love it. Love it. She's ticking and she's talking. I have yet to begin with my TikTok journey, but I'll it's get fun. there. It's fun. I'll, I'll get there. Uh, okay. And to buy the book, Emma, where can we buy the book? Um, Llewellyn, obviously, um, but all good bookstores and all website. local good bookstores yeah. go support your Check local your bookstores local yes, local local absolutely. anywhere books are yeah, sold they can order it too so, yes yeah. yeah and i just want to say that i love this is gonna sound really weird i'm very i'm a very tactile being <laughs> i love the feel of this book and the <gasps> like it's right it's know. like i don't know how to describe it it's almost like flocked it's like soft I, I and know, it's right? chunky and it's just you just you really want to hold it and I'm the worst person in the world because I love to make my books like 
I like them to be weathered. So I earmark everything. I dog ear everything. And then I like break binding. Yeah. And to I the feel disgust like, of most of our readers. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. People are like, oh, how could you break binding? Oh. And I'm like, no, I want it. Like, I want, my, like, if you have my book, yeah, I want it to I know be exactly filthy. What you I want mean. it to be stained. It's a cookbook. It should have <laughs> flour and eggs all over it. The like, sign the, of a good book, right? That's what I'm the saying. Right? So, like, I want to, like, if I read the whole thing through and then I hand you a book that's got like, you know, it's all frayed around the edges, but this book feels so yummy. Um, and it's just a lovely, lovely book. I and know. I'm so grateful that you decided to spend a little time with us today, especially because you're in the UK and I'm over here. And so I'm glad we can make this happen. So thank you so much. But wait, before I let you go, I must ask you my signature question <laughs> that I ask everyone who comes on the show, which is completely unrelated to anything else we've been talking about. Oh, exciting. So, oh, it's a very, very exciting. So Obviously, I am a kitchen witch, which we have discussed a little bit. If you were to have me make a magical meal for you, what would it be and why? Oh, you say magical meal as in like what? Anything like anything you want. Some people say, you know, oh, you know, my my grandmother had this recipe and no one's ever been able to recreate it. So that's really special for me. Or my favorite dish is this. Or I would have you make a prosperity spell and it would be this. So like food, 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 food. Okay, so. I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian since I was about seven or eight years old. Wow. So, yeah, so, like, most of my life. Um, But when I used to eat meat, I cannot – so my dad's Jamaican. My dad is a great, great, great cook. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I won't tell him that. I can remember again, but he's a very good cook. And my favourite thing that he used to make when I used to eat meat was salt fish fritters. Salt fish fritters? fritters yes yeah. yeah so salt cod fritters ah oh, but obviously now so if it was like magical fancy I would love a way of eating real salt cod fritters without it being real salt cod <laughs> <laughs> so can you make me but this fish like dish but no fish put no fish in it yeah. just the fritter but I want it to be exactly like <laughs> I want it to be exactly I've never even heard of a, a Jamaican salt fish fritter. I would imagine that it's like, and you said it's cod. So we're in New, New England and we get amazing yeah. fresh cod. Um, it's And it's like in season. And I have a fresh, I have a fishmonger that literally her and her husband, they fish off the coast of Maine on like a Tuesday and then bring the fresh fish down like that you buy on Saturday. It's wow. amazing. It's amazing. Oh. So you... What is that? What's even what's even in that? Is it spicy? Is it crunchy? Like what's in it? Um, it's it's not spicy. Like a lot of Jamaican food can be spicy. So oh, they're so nice. So um, saltfish was a way of preserving the fish back sure. um, back in the day. You know, sure. and even like now in 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 a lot of rural places in Jamaica where perhaps you know they might not have. Um, refrigeration or it might take a long time to get from one place to the next so you know salt fish was a way of preserving it so um it's kind of preserved with salt you you yeah. soak it to get a lot of the salt off but there's still a salty taste yes and i know it's bad but i'm someone who has to cover my food i can't help it i'm not covering it 100 percent ah. eat salt and chips and i mean yeah. Your chips, not my chips like yes yeah what we call fries ah. and you call chips i could yeah mm. Mm. Weird. Yeah. Some people 
it really pains me when I see people eating chips and they don't put salt on. I'm like, oh my God. But yeah, so <laughs> the salt, the fish is preserved in salt and then it's soaked. So you get the majority of the salt off, but you've still got that salty taste. And then the, it's just delicious batter and then it's fried, deep fried. And then we used to eat them straight from, like on a Sunday morning. So my dad is like old school. My dad would like, on a Sunday morning in my house growing up, we spend everyone doing housework. <laughs> Him included, like Sunday would be the day we'd mix the house, but everyone had to do it. Um, and then we'd have Sunday dinner, like a roast dinner, maybe at two o'clock in the afternoon. So then you'd have like the salt fish fritters as like a brunch. Oh, and it'd be hot straight out the fryer. That sounds absolutely <laughs> divine. And I love learning about different, like, I've never even heard of that. So now I'm going to like go look it up and try to make a recipe. And oh, I don't, yeah, you I don't know if I don't know if I could do it without the fish, but I love cod. And I love, yeah. like, I can't eat shellfish. Unfortunately, I developed an allergy to shellfish. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've now started, like, ooh, let me make this and let me make that. If it's yeah. cod or haddock or, or like, any of the fish that we get here, it's just so good. I'm yeah. starving now. Okay. That sounds <laughs> unbelievable. Emma Catherine, thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been a delight. You are delightful. Your book, uh, Witch Life, a practical guide to making everyday magical is fantastic and is available anywhere books are sold. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It was just lovely to have you. Um, I had a great time. Thank yay. You. <laughs> Hooray. Thank God. I'm so excited. Um, and until next time, everyone, I wish you so many blessings and so much gratitude. Thanks everybody. Mm-hmm.